Welcome everybody to another episode of Never Stay Dead. Today, Matt, my co-host, and myself, Damien, uh, present kind of a, in quotes, special episode, which is basically the conversation we had after we recorded our last episode. We kept the mics going, and I thought it was interesting enough uh, comic book fan discussion of various comic-related topics that I thought it kind of hung together, and you might enjoy listening to it. If you're not that much in the mood for random chatting about comic books late at night, um, then feel free to skip it, and we will be back very soon with a regular episode of the show where we will discuss the Darwin Cook, possibly classic, um, New Frontier series, the miniseries. And um, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, One note is there's a few awkward edits in this version of the our conversation um, most notably where i edited out a, a chunk of our political conversation i left in just enough to kind of make the segue work although it makes like it makes it sound like matt's agreeing with me more than he is the way i edited it but that was the best i could do anyway i hope you enjoy and we'll be back soon back in the day so many years ago now a little while ago, after we talked about Hoxpox, you, at least in the wake of um, that X-Men Hoxpox series, the House of X, what is it, the Powers of X, you were reading all the X-Men new comics. Are you still doing that? Uh, I am trying to. I've hit a bit of a hiccup. So I broke up with my comic shop, and so I've been buying the comics I have, but there might be some holes that I need to fill in, but yeah. So you are trying to continue. It, it hasn't uh, lost its charm for you. No, I'm so fascinated with where it's going and how it's doing all this stuff with the character. It, what's interesting to me is reading more and more X-Men is how much more so than most uh, you know, mainstream comic book stuff or comic book stuff that keeps going, uh, how much more the x books kind of reinvent themselves and really do crazy new status quos that do genuinely shake things up for good for ill uh there's a lot of crazy fun stuff that goes on and comparatively it's it continues to be unlike anything else and it, it it always does so in a way to play to certain real world ideas and I just think it's so vibrant and interesting for all that. Well, that's cool to hear. I guess someday I'll I'll uh, follow up on that stuff, even though I was uh, distressed by Hoxpox. It, it may not be for you, though I will say, like, Hoxpox is a weird moment, and I do feel like a lot of the other comics that continue after become more... Um, I mean, maybe normal comic booking that the stories get a little smaller mm-hmm. and it's more character focused. Cool. Well, that makes sense too. I mean, he was kind of laying a seismic shift onto the the world of the X Men and the world of Marvel, I suppose. A big accessible one for you might be the uh, Fantastic Four X Men crossover. Do you read the original uh, Fantastic Four X Men? crossover you mean way back when yeah way back when i i think i did i don't really remember anything about it was it just a one-shot issue or was it a miniseries it was four issues 
I can picture something in my head of that. I, I'd revisit it before reading the newer one. Um, it's it's real good. Okay, and that is that that's not by Hickman. That's by Chip Zdarsky. Oh, no, well, the original one's Claremont, but the new one's by Chip Zdarsky, I think. Yeah, it is. It's uh, one of the better things uh, Chip's done at Marvel, except for his last issue of Spectacular, which I think will, I think many people would say is his finest work in a single issue. Oh my god, his run was painful. He has a great reputation for his Daredevil run. I'm not a fan. I did a video on that, um, but I most people tend to love right. it. Right. I now remember you doing a video on it, and I was surprised because everyone was loving it, and I'm still hearing them all loving it. I tend to not be the biggest Chip Zdarsky fan. Yeah, I've, I've noticed. <laughs> but I agreed with you on some of the Chip Zdarsky stuff. At least I found it wobbly. It would be good for a while, and then it would. There's another question I wanted to ask you, which might be of interest to our listeners slash viewers. I used to feel like, I don't know if it was... I think it was around the time we started this podcast, it seemed you were switching over from single issues to mostly collecting trades. And now in my conversations with you, oh, I just bought 200 more single issues. (laughs) So if you had a philosophical shift. You know, my my trade obsession went to buying runs, basically. Um, Well, so, okay, so... well, so what's interesting for me, I guess, in that respect, is that the way I collect is also kind of how I'm talking about comics at the time. So for years, especially when I was doing more Wednesday Serial and talking to other people, I, I was very focused. Like, don't get me wrong, I've always loved superhero comics. I've always been in it. But I've, I kind of had this thing where, like, I need to be reading other stuff. I, I need to be looking at this, looking at that. And then with the pandemic and everything and not talking to anyone except for like you and a handful of other people. Uh, Your co-host Kane, I assume. Yeah, I mean, he's one of them, my wife, my boss, and like three other right, people. I forget your wife likes comics, so that puts you ahead. Well, I mean, in general, I'm just talking talking to people at all. Um, but especially comic people, like I'm like, well, no one's judging me from reading nothing news coming out and i i i've always kind of thought like i can't own all spider-man comics i can't own all x-men comics and when the pandemic hit and i wasn't buying anything new it's like well i know my wife did something with ebay which she's been selling pokemon cards on ebay and whatnot and so i started poking around ebay a little bit and it started with oh i can buy all of spider girl for you know, a hundred some dollars, but it's more than a hundred issues. Okay. So you got a dollar an issue right there. Yeah. Or cheaper. Um, and then I got web of Spider-Man and then I started just going down and then like I plinked at amazing and I plinked at uncanny for a while. And then there are these sales at my comic stores in the area where like around black Friday last year, you could get a dollar an issue And so I went through a bunch of stuff and then really quickly between eBay and that and a few other sites I've looked at online, I just started like, okay, well now I own this run and then I own this run and I own this run. And there was something about owning the issues of the Spider-Man and X-Men and Green Lantern comics, Mm -hmm. which is 
basically all I've been collecting. And I'm like, okay, on the issues. And some of it was replacing trades because I was able to get it so cheap. And, and I'm just like, okay. And then I ended up at a point a few months ago, I'm like, I own in the 90th percentile of every Spider-Man comic ever published. I own in a lower, but like still 90th percentile of every X book ever published. I own most Green Lantern books, but I own basically every Green Lantern book except for some specials after a certain year. Are you enjoying reading them in their single single format it is so satisfying to like go through it like i just i i went through the oh god i think it's volume three the kyle rayner run where he's introduced in issue 50 of um green lantern and i read through every issue and even the issues that weren't great you know i was able to go through more quickly and some issues you skim some issues you read more in depth some you stare on the art but like letting myself just read and enjoy that stuff and go through and do that and start plinking around and just being like i own it and i've spent way too much comic uh money on comics recently but i mean i feel like that was a this year thing now because now my main but you can't go out to dinner anymore or waste money at the movies or well you couldn't do some of those things anyway with the baby at home well that was a big thing about it was like the like part of it was the fun of it but part of it too i think was this weird psychological like taking some control or just like having something to focus on that was fun in the middle of all yeah. this nightmare we've been living through and so yeah it was not the best financial decision but at the end of the day like i own all these comics that at some level i wanted even if they're not great comics i own pretty much every spider-man comic like that's really cool to there's me. something exciting about owning a run of things for some reason yeah but you know back like i can't remember now what year it was but when you first came out here to go to uh go to the con with me the rose city comic con oh my god yeah um you were all about about hunting down trades at the on the con floor while you know most or at least my perception is most people were hunting individual issues so I, I wondered if something had changed in what you enjoy. The price point. Like, that's what I'm realizing is like, as much as I've danced around stuff, like the fact that, yeah, I was getting comics at, a, in some cases, like $2 per or like a dollar per or less, like in bulk. Um, like, and when you're spending money and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to spend $200, which is a lot on comics, but it's like, I now own spectacular spider-man volume one like two hundred dollars but you're getting 200 comics like that's right and in trades that would be far more than two hundred dollars well yeah and i mean don't get me wrong there's something really cool about the trades in some ways i'm realizing like there's some minis or some other things i still have in trades and i don't want to replace them or deal with it because it would cost too much or it's a pain in the butt or it's like do i really want to collect something when i have the trade sitting right there Trades are still, like, such a great way to go through comics. They're clean. They're printed on better paper. I love being able to pull them off the shelf. I think that's... I mean, I love collecting single issues, but in but I, I do realize, oh, it's really nice to reach over and say, ah, here's my volume of uh, New Frontier. 
and not have to go <laughs> dig through my boxes for it. But like when I'm reading old Claremont X-Men, I really like having the issues. There's something to the issue to issue. But when I'm looking at... And that's at... the way they were meant to be read. So yeah, it makes sense. Right. But when I'm reading some newer stuff, I'm kind of like, maybe the trade would be better, right? Like, don't you feel that with some newer comics? Like it's kind of written for the trade anyways. So it just feels more... Well, on my... I don't like to call it a comic book review show, but I do my weekly when I get... Well, some weeks I do my weekly countdown of the new books... I often now am analyzing, you know, briefly on each book, is this better in singles or is it better in trades? Because I know that a lot of the people who watch my videos on that are trade readers. Um, and I just kind of am now in the habit of like thinking that way because a lot of the modern books are better in trades. And some of them every once in a while are not, you know, which is an example of when I lent you uh, Kaiju Max. Well, and... Another big thing that keeps sticking in my craw when I'm going through these issues is I know where it is, but like, like you're familiar with the Sinestro Corps War, right? Sinestro Corps War? No, I, I, I don't know anything about it. I mean, obviously I can guess there was a war against the Sinestro Corps. <laughs> yeah, and it was the introduction of the Sinestro Corps, really. I mean, there was some seeds, but like that was the big to-do, and that was... And that was a couple years into Jeff Johns' initial Green Lantern run. Um, it was the bit. It was it was the moment that it went from like being like this up and coming book to like the thing at DC at the time. And it, in those issues, there's some there's a few issues in particular where the battles were actually so bloody or whatever that when they went to trade, they actually edited it down. And so there's differences between the issues and the trades. There's something really cool about the issues, you know, having the letters to look through, having that original stuff so that you get, you're getting that. Um, I'm actually curious. There's a Wolverine issue I have where there's supposed to be some ethnic slur, but there's two versions of the comic, one with and one without. It, it's some of that stuff that makes it. I wonder fun. if they clean up the trades because those appear at public libraries a lot. Well, they'll clean them up. Normally, when I say clean them up, though, it's not like oh, that. Like, normally, they don't change the you know. At one right. point, I decided to stop getting, um, what's his name, Snyder, uh, the Bat Batman writer Snyder. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Scott Snyder. Because I heard him say that he rewrote dialogue and other bits and refined the comics once they got to trades. And I also perceived him as reading better in trades and so i thought well between those two reasons i might as well just get him in trades uh, i don't know if that many of them do that he's more of a perfectionist i'm so tempted to sell my run of his stuff and get the trades because yeah but um but the comic book mark comic book store marketplace is now the most adult place for comics and trades go out more to a more broader general audience you know, and a, lo a lot of the money I think that's made is is selling to libraries. I mean, certainly my library gets seems to get every single major collection that comes out from any major publisher. That's because you're in Portland. Yeah, but I th I think it's a big thing around the around the country. A lot of people get their comics from the library now. I think a lot of libraries get a lot of comics and they, a lot of them have different systems. So if you plan ahead, you can get trades from other libraries or whatever. And yeah, I mean, all that. The, tr the comics are really popular. So I can't walk into the library and find what I want. 
I have to go to their website and put books on hold and wait months for them to show up. So, right. Yeah. Um, so some people think their libraries don't have as much because they just look for the look physically. And some well, library systems may not have as much. I think a lot of people looking physically is actually closer to the reality. You forget you live in comic Mecca and that affects how things go down there. Um, well, there might be artists checking out for reference. Like you, Oh, yeah, the pros might be a uh, different space taking those. Oh yeah. Maybe. But um, no, I just think there's a lot of people reading reading comics in collected editions more than actually are buying them. And I think they're a, a mainstay of the library. Oh, definitely. But it, yeah, I mean, I know there are people who definitely read a lot of comics in my area, um, but I, I, I can't imagine it's at the volume that you're seeing. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess. Cause the libraries around here don't get the level of comics that you get. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong then. I just thought that that might be an influence on, on what they put in the trades when they think of what librarians will say. Okay, we're not, we're not going there. Is that... Well, I mean, I wonder. Now, because I, most librarians I know are pretty chill about that sort of thing. But it's not their personal taste. It's the professional decision of their audience. Of their community. I mean, what are they showing that's on okay. the Bible? Right? Well, then I don't know why they tamed down the Sinestro War. That was just my best guess. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a rare instance, right? Um, but there are a lot of instances, more what you're talking about, like with Scott Snyder or um, in uh, Punk Rock Jesus, which we talked about before. I forget if it was well, on the he podcast. He added pages, which just pissed me off because I supported that book in individual issues. Yeah, like he added, like, that was unprecedented. But I mean, there's usually, I mean, there's a lot of like, Usually, usually what it is in the difference between issues and trades, your your average change is going to be um, editors or someone goes through and realizes mistakes they mi missed or some slight verbiage or whatever. So they'll clean it up a little bit and maybe some color adjustments that happen. But I mean, that happens with the transition between issues and trades just because it's slightly different material. And I wonder so. if. Well, I don't know if they care enough, but they could take out some of the caption boxes that are repeating information that you just read in the previous chapter if it's all in the same train. That's part of the publishing of it. Yeah, that is part of it too, definitely. That is done differently so many different ways. So, yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, there, it's a lot of subtle changes that like really amount to about no difference, <laughs> usually. Well, I, I mean, I'm still reading a lot of individual issues, but I am buying a lot. I'm like, whenever I see a hardcover, especially if I think it's going to be a good quality hardcover of, um, of something I like, I'm just now buying it because those hardcovers go out of sale, out of print pretty quickly. And I really like having, if I like the art a lot, especially, I just like having an oversized hardcover. So I've been kind of hoarding oversized hardcovers. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> it, how are you feeling about things now that we're? Oh wow, nice. Is that Wally Wood stuff? Weird science. Yeah, there's Wally Wood in there. That cover probably is this particular cover probably is not Wally Wood, but but there's a lot of Wally Wood in these weird sciences. 
Didn't Ditko do some of that too? Uh, Ditko was not working for EC. I think he may have started in comics in the 50s as EC was fading away. But he did do a lot of science fiction and horror stuff before he came to Marvel. And I've been getting hardcovers of Prince Valiant. Yeah, your Prince Valiant obsession that I've seen you talking about, which is the weirdest one to me. I I don't know what it is, but Prince Valiant throws me off. Well, just the name Prince Valiant, probably. The art is, well, I guess we can't see it here very well. But anyway, it's all about the art. I just remember that showing up in the Sunday comics yeah, and the paper. It might still be going in whatever papers still have Sunday comics. I wouldn't not know. not drawn by the same <laughs> people, of course, <laughs> like Garfield. But you know, as I get more and more into like my hobby is kind of transitioning to a certain extent. In I've always been this way a bit, but focusing on just sort of the history of comics, and Prince Valiant is a major, major influence on on the first three or four waves of uh, comic book artists in America. You know, the Jack Kirby's and the Buscemas and other people like that. Oh, oh, that gives me an idea of something we could check out. But it might be past your taste barrier. Um, I'm just going to say it because we're there, right? Because um, I know you don't read a lot of manga, but I know one of the most influential manga is Berserk. Um and that influenced a bunch of artists, influenced a bunch of stories huh. over Is here. Is that like still it's ongoing? Hugely... I feel like I see new... Maybe they just reprinting it. It's over. It. Yeah, they, 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 they've done new editions. Yeah, I feel like I see it manga has o- stock trades in recent years. Yeah, because they're doing a, they're in the middle of a reprint um, with... I think it's technically like three volumes in one or something. Um, but uh, the original Berserk that came over was out of print for a number of times. So there's certain volumes that are worth more than the rest of most of the collection combined. Uh, so I've been tempted to just go to the new volumes and us sell the old ones we have well, or something. Can we read like the first volume of it and have enough to talk about, or is it so decompressed that we have to read six volumes before we have enough? I haven't read the actual. Um, what I'm more worried about is the taste barrier because it's dark, uh-huh. uh, super like more so the like in a way that there's nothing comparable. Uh-huh. Like, and I have been leaning into lighter comics lately. Yeah, um, but I, yeah, it's I don't know. Are there children being raped in it? <laughs> yes, I, I might not want to read that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. It it is one of the darkest things, one of the darkest stories of all time. It's, but um, there's a lot to it artistically that influenced me. But maybe you can find a better um, because. And do you think it's you know because there is a lot of manga influence now in America? Is is do you think it's influenced any artists you see? Oh, yeah. No, Berserk has uh, directly influenced a number of American artists, and they've quoted it as such, uh, which is part of the reason I was thinking about. But I'm trying to think, there has to be another great example that um, we could point to through manga. I mean, we could definitely... um, I I don't know if that would work. Um, Oh, but we could do like a Dragon Ball 
volume or something like that's definitely influenced people or one piece um because those are definitely hugely influential pieces even to american comics in my sort of random attempts at reading manga i rarely get full through a whole volume even if i'm kind of enjoying the really? art like i mean i haven't chosen the right things to read probably but like i read half of the first volume of one punch man i thought oh this is pretty cool art i thought i would think one punch man would be kind of up your alley my hero academia i think i may have read some my hero academia out loud with my daughter or something the one uh manga anime story that i think you would dig it's dark at points but much more so to the level of like the stuff we normally fare through would be a uh, full metal alchemist yeah it, it's it, it's a little bit of an origin story to start and then it gets fun <laughs> and actually i think it doesn't start with the origin story i think that's actually technically the second arc in the story because they knew they wanted to do something punchier to start so but so the the reason well there's a couple reasons why i never seem to get through manga is um i i find the even when the art looks nice i find it's not clear storytelling to me obviously it is to other people it's a different visual language and it's yeah. a different visual language and it and i sometimes really wish i know it's shallow but i really wish for some color to help me sort through the pictures better oh um there are some manga that have been fully colored in some editions um i'll look into that i'll i'll think on that because that might help like i i like i know for a fact like i do appreciate the color for a number of reasons and i wish trigun was colored i know i love akira colored 10 times more yeah, maybe Would it... part of that is because steven olaf oh, did nice. it's some of the best coloring i've ever seen um the other the other thing that and it might not it might be different in different manga is a lot of what i've tried the characters are having emotional reactions to things that don't make sense to me they're they're literal uh, the language of their emotions is alien to me and i just don't care and i know there's a million different kinds of manga so and i've only tried it, a few it's things. super exaggerated stuff and there's some that don't go into that that kind of thing berserk would be one of those but um someone kind of as a joke sent me something called show bits about a guy oh falling in love with his robot it was uh rez from oh. rez reads i don't know if you remember her from youtube yeah no i Chobits is a sojo classic and it's a good story but it is that would be a poor choice for you. That that was the that was the ultimate for me not caring about there. And I guess the guy was the character in that was like constantly being embarrassed over every single thing and it it was just like ah how much time can you spend being embarrassed? Oh, that's the entire genre. That that is the genre, not not the story, the genre. Um we don't have enough embarrassments in all of the United States to fill up that one manga. But. Well, yeah, it's crazy, actually, because that gets on uh, the interesting kind of like story level censorship politics idea around it. Um, as Americans, I mean, we're uncomfortable around sexuality, but we're actually more comfortable with relationships and the idea 
approaching sexuality more so than other cultures um japan's actually more comfortable with a certain level of like almost nudity but then they'll blur a bunch of stuff um but the idea of approaching relationships or whatnot there's so much more enclosed like the idea of asking someone something is such a bigger thing especially within the romantic stuff yeah because she gave it to me as a gift i tried to read it and it was like 500 pages long i think i got 350 400 pages in it must have collected several volumes in one perhaps i think that was a three in one and uh 500 pages then very little happened so i kept going for a long time just trying to see well is this going to get better or am i going to care more but ah yeah no it's chobits uh not a lot happens but even in one punch man there's some emotional tone to it that you know i just don't really oh yeah one punch man is more of a standout it's a different generation and it's also a uh, shoujin not a shoujo so shoujo is their romantic stuff shoujin's more like the action and where does my hero academia fall uh my hero academia is shoujin so one punch man and um what was he saying and my hero academia along with like dragon ball z naruto bleach probably a lot of the ones you've heard of are were all published in shonen jump um which is like the and that's the action well it's the action it's also kind of like the premier manga book as far as what's come over to the u.s there's exceptions and whatnot um but and is it more male oriented generally i mean yeah girls like it too i mean the way comics are manga is digested in japan is so much more not even just so much more i mean that's understating it like it is it is culture there like you will see because mangas are tied to anime tied to video games much more so i just saw an article in a business magazine saying that manga was 50 percent of the publishing industry of japan you know oh yeah graphic novels must be what five percent or i don't know Oh, so yeah, manga sold at every train station in Japan. And keep in mind, train stations are the mode of transportation in Japan. So, I, I mean, and you'll you'll be walking through the streets of Osaka, Tokyo, um, any major city area, and you'll see like ads for a new manga coming out. Maybe you'll definitely see ads for anime coming out. Um, you'll see a lot more video game and like the video game manga anime cycle is a lot more tied through so if there's a big enough video game there's definitely going to be a manga of it Um, and for those wondering matt has uh, visited japan so he's not just going on someone else's information and more of this i actually do know just by talking to people who kind of more live in japan and understanding the comics i mean i saw some of it was there but your wife lived in Japan at some point. Yeah, she lived there for a semester during school. And I actually have a friend over there who I talk to occasionally who... Actually, no, I have a couple friends who live over there who I talk to occasionally. Um, one of them is a translator by profession. Interesting. So I get like more of the knowledge kind of comes from him. Actually, it's it's kind of interesting. It's probably less than 5%, but like the specialty stores you'd go to in Japan for comics that are maybe more equivalent to kind of like a comic shop here 
are the doujinshi comics which are like the fan comics that are published a lot of it's porn but there's a lot of just like regular fan comics of people doing things uh with i remember you mentioning that in a video yeah in some store you went to um did you end up buying some of it or you just saw it oh yeah there's this great batman porn i found how could i resist you know so it's like online fanfic basically and some of some of which is then some of it some of it's uh, i mean it's just it's a whole other thing there so you get so many more different people you get different levels of talent coming like it's it's just it's just how you wish comics would be over here where like like you walk into a pure manga store and or the manga section of like a bookstore which is entire floor and like the romance is over here the superhero right. stuff's here the action stuff the sports stuff is here and so like there's just sections of comics what you're into so it's not like you're interested in comics you're interested in a genre and you're reading some comic of it it's just it's so much more ubiquitous that it, it makes the access a completely different question it's funny though sometimes i don't wish it's like i lo- i start realizing now that i like comics as a fringe thing like, would I have the same okay. feelings about it if I grew up in Japan? Um, or oh, maybe just <laughs> I am shaped by the fact that it has been a fringe thing my entire life. And, you know, my discovery of the first comic book store was like discovering a secret world. I think a metaphor that I shouldn't push too far, but maybe like a gay person suddenly discovering there's other gay people or going, you know, going to a gay disco. And it's a whole different world hidden away the rest of the world oh no i i i mean i i know what you're saying there's i get why people might take issue but i mean i i get what you're talking about like it's this subculture and so like it when you meet or talk to other people who like comics there's kind of an instant bond whether you really like them or not like you can relate to them on a level because just because you're in and continuing with comics especially once you pass that 30 threshold where a lot of people give it up because they got to grow up or whatever yeah to meet people you know i started this the youtube thing at age 50 so it was quite a shock after all that time to talk to so many people about comics oh yeah and you you were suffering me when i was in my 20s so (laughs) You know, you had to be hungry to talk to someone. So desperate I even talked to you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I have, you know, gay friends who are my age who have mentioned to me that their gay community has died because being gay became much more ex- acceptable during our lifetime. And you didn't have to go to these, you don't have to go to these hidden clubs anymore. And when you go, most of them have now gone away and when those few that are left are just a bunch of old men because all the younger men in this case gay men because those are the people i'm talking about with this um are off with their straight friends at clubs that accept everybody (laughs) um but if you go back you know to 1983 or something it's a very different world Mm -hmm. and so they grew up with that and that was like their special culture that they had and in a yeah. weird way, not nearly as uh, deep or personal as that, uh, some of the some of my fun of comics is its um, non ubiquity, its its secretness. Well, and I, I to kind of cut back on what you said, I wouldn't even say it's less personal. I mean, it's somewhere you're going at least every week, right? You know, I mean, it's a huge part of what you do in your life, and so 
it's not necessarily part of your sexuality or whatever, but like gay people who couldn't find other gay people were very unhappy people. I can be a happy person without finding, I was a happy person for most of my life without finding other comic books. But it, there is something there. Yeah. Um, it's not a perfect analogy, but I mean, I, I you know, it is. So to grow yeah. up in Japan, I mean, I probably would still, because I'm just a visual slash verbal person, like to have those two things combined is, is the best thing for me. But, um, but I definitely would have a different set of feelings about it. Less, less excitement of discovery. Um, oh, yeah. And even at the level of, on the surface level, American comics are limited to superhero comics. And you really have to dig deeper. You know, I had these exciting moments of discovery uh, in my 20s when I discovered underground comics. Or when I was 15 and I discovered Will Eisner's The Spirit. So I... It, it's like uh, discovering things as an archaeologist versus someone going to the mall. It has that extra level of excitement of discovery of hunting. Well, and I mean, when I've been coming up, I mean, at least through my 20s and up, like thanks to Image and a couple others, like the idea of like crime comics or horror comics or sci-fi comics is pretty accessible. So it's a little wider than just superhero, but I mean, I'm mostly superhero. So... But it's nice to know that there's at least a little more breadth. Right, right. Though, uh, reading through a lot of these earlier Marvel comics, I kind of realized, like, that was actually just lost to Marvel. Like, Marvel used to have at least, like, a romance comic or definitely a couple horror comics, a sci-fi thing going on. And so that narrowed at some point and then kind of broadened out. But it was maybe it seemed like a bigger thing to me at the time because I never knew a Marvel that had even a horror comic running when I probably is just, is just the nineties where they didn't, they stopped doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it faded in the mid eighties or even earlier. I think, I mean, the, the horror comics were really big in the seventies and then slowly faded. And then they had a kind of comeback, I think after the blade movies, um, so then oh, you they? get okay. in the '90s, you get those all those uh, Ghostwriter comics, and yeah, they had a brief comeback in the '90s. Um, but they were yeah, all the midnight they were done in stuff. a different style, um, completely different style. But they were still there. Yeah, they didn't really. I've read some of that, and it didn't feel like horror comics to me. It just felt like this guy's a vampire, this guy's Blade, this guy's son of satan or whatever but like it felt like superhero comics but just with the trappings of horror but not but not like the dracula we just read where that was actually a different look and feel and in 1971 when i first started reading marvel comics you know four and a 10 11 year old that felt like an underground culture i mean i was reading uh, all this stuff that no one else seemed to know about. And it was oh, you know, yeah. radically different than Archie or DC comics or whatever. It had its own sort of scrappy underground feel. Well, and I think that's hard to remember now that like for a time, like X-Men or Spider-Man was just some idea cooked up and people were writing. It wasn't this institution. And the people who were coming in, I think in the seventies with all their flaws because they were young writers and stuff, they were they were there just to make their mark artistically, which was very different 
than all the other comics that were just like a corporate thing. They were all inspired by what had happened in the 60s at Marvel and they wanted to make their own mark. Um, so you got Steve Gerber's and Steve Englehart's and uh, Don McGregor's and just all these other kind of writers who briefly were doing weird things within what looked like on the surface uh, this just commercial genre fiction genre uh, entertainment um, and now now i at least don't look to marvel for that kind of thing i look to image and other publishers yeah. boom comics now is doing a lot of that maybe not dynamite now dynamite less so but <laughs> oh that could be a whole other conversation maybe we don't want to go into <laughs> <laughs> But to any creators, <laughs> I would just say, don't bring all your fights with publishers and other things to Twitter first. <laughs> Speaking of which, Probably you really idea. pick on poor uh, Joe Biden on Twitter all the time. <laughs> I see you harassing him. All, all I've been pushing for, which he finally turned the corner on, is he's basically saying, like, I won't do this. I won't be Trump. All I've basically been pushing is like, say what you will do. Yeah, but the the best way to get elected is just to not be Trump. <laughs> he can, you know what I mean? I don't know it, if that's it may true. be dishonest. It may be, you know, but I think it's the politically smart thing to do is. Um... Right, right. Um yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I, we'll see how it goes, especially with... That's the other thing I'm actually wondering about. With all this push against USPS, um, I'm wondering if comic prices are going to rise now that we've just gotten back to it. Well, I've been surprised. I I thought maybe um, books would go up in price because we've been having all these trade problems with China. And I think that's where most of the mm -hmm. hardback and a lot of the paperback books, color books, are published. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point, too. So I'm... I'm surprised those prices haven't jumped up. And um, I think a lot of comics are published in Canada, which is ironic because they yes. then get shipped to America and then Canadian comic book stores have to get them shipped from America to Canada. <laughs> you think they could uh, figure out a <laughs> bypass on that? But um, I wondered if COVID issues uh, maybe made printing them hard for a while. That's something that's been weird, especially going through Hoxpox, um, because I only bring this up because at the back of all the newer X-Men books, there's kind of like a list of where the issue is in relation to all the other X-Men issues. And then they have publishing dates on the side of it or when you can ex when you buy the comic. But the initial ones that came out after <laughs> the release of the pandemic and all that still had the dates from when they were originally going to be. And then they kind of swap quickly through. But it was this really confusing thing. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, what happened here? And why didn't they change it? And it was, it was odd. So at the moment, you've put in orders to DCBS, but you haven't gotten into that, the cycle of getting them in the mail from them? Right. And so I'm going to have to figure out what I missed basically and kind of fill in the gaps yeah I, I have a local store i want to hit up to see if i can't get a couple back issues too um also i mean after 
after this initial brush, you know, if I miss something or if there's some comic I want to go grab some, um, I, I could go back to my shop, my old shop. I, I don't, I don't want to hold anything against them. I don't think they're going to hold a ton against me. Well, I, it was, it was, it was messy leaving, but, um, at a certain point, you know, as a customer there, I like them generally. I assume they'll still like me though. Not the same, but I, the price difference was just too much to ignore once I realized it. Um, at my previous shop, I mean, my current shop I've been at for like four issue, four years now, but my shop before that, I still peek in the window before I go in to see if this one clerk is there. And if he is, I just don't go in. He's such a dipwad, whatever. <laughs> Trying to keep it clean. but um, And I had no official confrontation with him or anything, but just learned to hate dealing with him. The biggest news of the moment that I'm thinking about that I'm not sure if it affects you is the, uh, with all the DC cancellations, Hawkman's getting canceled, which I knew a lot of people who are loving that book. And I'm actually kind of bummed because I was thinking about trying to check it out, but I was kind of figuring out. Well, they just, I think, it, what was it, like issue 26 or something just came out and they just wrapped up a storyline that in some senses continued for 26 issues. Um, so if you can find those issues cheaply, I would say jump on those. It has its ups and downs. Like it gets really, it's really good. Then it kind of, I think it got derailed by some events. Maybe that Leviathan. And then it took a while to recover from that. And That's always brutal when you're reading a good book that doesn't get to last forever and it gets derailed by an event. Why can't like... they just do Leviathan without making Hawkman be part of it? Or, or I guess it was Year of the Villain. <laughs> I wish they'd do more of what they've started doing with Spider-Man during any event where this amazing Spider-Man gets to be in its own friggin' corner. And then if you need a Spider-Man book for whatever event, it's event colon Spider-Man one through whatever. And then they call it do more of that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of what might've been because of events and stuff. I think I was seeing somewhere uh, Pete Tomasi, who was the writer on Batman and Robin back in the new 52 had said somewhere he had a whole plot plotted out thing of Robin having superpowers for a, like a whole 12 issue run before taking it away from him. And that ended up being like two issues of him having superpowers before they took it away from him. Um, and I think that's because some event was coming up or, you know, the rebirth was coming up and he had to cut it short. I'm not sure which. But so I think there's all kinds of things like that. And it feels it feels to me like it's a um, like Brian Michael Bendis is the alpha male writer. So all the other writers have to bend to his will, you know, rather than just let Hawkman be Hawkman. Even if Richard Vendetti is not, you know, the alpha male of DC Comics. Well, Vendetti writes some really cool stuff, but it's usually a little more involved and. Yeah, it's it's always fr like what kills me too is when you look back at what sells a long time and is remembered forever. Like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing wasn't hindered by events, right? You know, um, Frank Miller's Batman wasn't hindered by events. They were events their own, and uh, I I get events are cool for comics, especially when you have 
runs that have been going forever and like interrupting spider-man for a moment or daredevil whatnot can be fun when they're just ho-hum runs but when you're trying to get through this arc that's the same yeah. thing and if if it's an event that really involves hawkman <laughs> if there was a hawkman batman crossover and that's all it was maybe it'd be very exciting but it, when it's just oh every comic this month has to have year of the villain in it or leviathan in it mm-hmm. or there was another thing that came after that um you know the writers who really have nothing to do with it are just thrown off all yeah. the time and i feel like green lanterns escaped that recently yeah green lantern so. seems to be in its own world or all i've just been accumulating issues lately and not reading them but, you know, on the DC thing, the thing that really worries me, I'm assuming most of our listeners know that DC laid off like 30% of their staff recently, and a lot of them were the higher paid, more senior editors. What worries me there is, from what I heard on a um, Publishers Weekly thing, a podcast, that the woman who oversees DC, Pam Lifford, was just told, you need to cut a certain amount of... Yeah, it's numbers you know, to save us money, and then she got to choose. She got to choose what she wanted to get rid of, um, and it's rumored she doesn't like things like black label. So she got rid of both the editors who do black label. But another aspect of that ruins me if they uh, worries me if they're doing cost cutting. One reason I think I like DC better than Marvel often these days is because DC actually pays creators more than Marvel. And so Marvel has a lot of these cheaper fill-in artists, you know, from all mm-hmm. around the world who don't, you know, build up a reputation for themselves and demand much money. I'm worried that DC will go right. in that direction to save If they're looking to just how cheaply can we produce comics, they may no longer be the leader in terms of uh, wages. We'll see. And, you uh, know, like hope not. one of the great things about Hawkman, it had great art in it. And uh, like Justice League Dark, another one I like a lot, always seems to have really good art in it. They are international artists, but they're the better international artists, I think, who, you know, I'm assuming can demand a little more money than a lot of the ones that Marvel uses. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought I'd express that somewhere. So now I've got that out of my system. I think what we have here is two podcasts. Cool. But um, maybe it is, it's quite right. late, especially your time. Sounds good. So maybe we'll leave it at that. Did you have any other last thoughts about your current collecting modes? Not at the minute. Okay, great. Well, we will we'll be back from the dead next time. See you later. Cheers. Cheers.